this uh, early Gada movement had a very striking uh, combination of Marxism and Sikhi. The motifs which they used, the symbols which they used, both Sikh and uh, Marxist uh, uh, symbols. And many of these leaders actually acquired a lot of importance in the Sikh community. For example, uh, uh, Baba Son Singh Pakna, uh, who was a, a Gadrite leader, later on he was considered for the headship of the Chief Gurdwara Management Committee, which is SGPC, Somni Gurdwara Prabandha Committee. And um, Baba Sakha Singh actually became the Jathidar of Akal Takht, which is the highest religious authority. And that was a unique uh, uh, situation that a person who claims himself to be communist, but is also the head of the highest Sikh institution. And uh, that's because they did not see any conflict between their uh, religious beliefs, which they considered as Sikhi, and their political and, and logical or philosophical worldview, even at an experiential level, intuitive level, even if they hadn't done critical study of Marxist text. Hi, I'm Sakrad Singh from Sikh Archive and welcome to the 45th episode of our podcast series of conversations with historians, authors, academics, researchers and activists on topics related to the areas of expertise on Sikh Openjabi history. In this episode, we are joined by Pritham Singh, who is a scholar and professor of economics at Oxford Brookes University, where his main areas of teaching, interest and expertise are development economics, environmental economics, comparative economic systems and competing economic paradigms. And today we discuss the origins of Marxism in Punjab, its relationship with Sikhi, and the evolution of Marxism throughout the 20th century in Punjab, with particular reference to the interwar period, communalism, the independence movement, post-partition, the Ghadar Party, Nehruvian politics and secularism, the Subalair, and the Khalistan movement and beyond. But before we start, a quick message about our sponsor of this episode from Sikh Student Learning, which is an educational resource that is developing a comprehensive Sikh Studies modular program for Sikh children aged between 4 to 16 years with the option to take exams for modules and obtain certificates of achievement. And right now they've published a new series of Gurmukhi Learning Workbooks for those looking to learn how to read and write Punjabi. They are an excellent resource for new parents wanting to teach their children the culturally rich mother tongue that is Punjabi. You can find them at www.sixstudentlearning.co.uk. But now, back to the podcast that we have planned for you today. Who is Pritam Singh? I'm Professor Mertis at Oxford Brooks Business School in Oxford Brooks University in Oxford. And uh, I have been you could say, influenced by Marxism almost from the age of uh, 12, 13, uh, at a very early age, but more clearly from the age of about 17, 18, and uh, has have been a part of the left movement in Punjab and India and internationally. And uh, I taught at... Um, Punjab University, Chandigarh. I studied in JNU Delhi, then taught in Delhi University, and uh, then came to Oxford in 1987, did my doctorate here, 
and uh, then uh, started teaching at Oxford Books University. And I have taught at uh, University of Oxford, uh, Moscow State University in, in Brazil, and of course, had a visiting position in JNU. And um, my Marxism has evolved over a period of time that uh, in the beginning, uh, I was kind of uh, more uh, close to what can be called the CPI version of uh, uh, Marxism in Punjab, mainly because the first kind of people I met, they were close to the CPI. But then very soon, I got into the Naxalite movement as a student activist. And I was arrested, I was tortured, narrowly escaped being killed and uh, was saved from that about which I've written about in my experiences. And uh, then I went to study in JNU where I came under the influence of Trotskyism. But eventually I could say that uh, I have uh, outgrown all these different forms of uh, Marxist uh, influence of, of, of uh, uh, CPI or Naxlite or, or Trotskyism. I would call myself an independent Marxist scholar. And increasingly, I have become more oriented towards ecological Marxism or eco-socialism. That's where I would define myself, having understood the ecological implications of the spread of uh, capitalism and the, its, its uh, ecological destructiveness, along with social destructiveness, which already one knew, but with the understanding of the ecological uh, destructiveness, it has uh, drawn me more closer to the eco-socialist or ecological Marxist uh, perspective on, on the world. That's kind of broad, in very simplistic terms, my overview of my... Uh, but uh, that uh, also, I think it, it is important to also mention that I have been influenced by Sikhi. I come from a family which is not deeply religious, but very kind of devoted to Sikhi and uh, the influence of my grandparents, my parents, and the larger family. And uh, uh, I have been in a childhood very much influenced by the traditions of martyrdom, of the of, of Sikh faith, and fighting against mm -hmm. oppression. And uh, that has also led me to revise my earlier kind of criticism of uh, religion to more understanding notion of uh, religion, and hopefully it'll get reflected in the subsequent uh, discussion that we have. Well, thank you for that great introduction. It was very insightful and very fitting to today's topic, namely Marxism in Punjab. And my first question is, when did it first find its way into Punjab? One could say that the Marxist influence on, on Punjab can be first seen among the immigrant, uh, Punjabi immigrants in, in California, from which the Gadar movement rose. And uh, many of them went to America in the late 19th century. They worked in the logging industry, a uh, um, number of them. And what they experienced were uh, quite contradictory things. One, they experienced racism uh, in workplaces in the labor market. Second, they also experienced uh, trade union solidarity because on one hand, they experienced racism by the employers and even 
you know, various segments of the employers, not necessarily the owners, but the managers of, of various firms where they worked. But they also found solidarity among the white workers who were involved in the trade union movement, who, who sympathized with their concerns about racial discrimination. And the third was that the immigrant workers, Punjabi immigrant workers, they also understood that one of the reasons they were suffering racial discrimination was that India was under British colonial rule. And it is this uh, uh, knowledge and awareness of the whites that they are the rulers of, of uh, uh, India and many other parts of the world that, that have given them superiority complex about the white being superior. And therefore, they started feeling that, that to overcome their uh, discrimination, racial discrimination, India must get independence. So the ideas of India's independence and the struggle to get uh, free from racial discrimination in the labor market and the trade union solidarity all combined together to give them early introductory uh, uh, kind of uh, entry into, into, into Marxism. Their Marxism was not uh, a critical in a theoretical way. It was not Marxism, which was arrived at by critical engagement with Marxist theoretical texts. Uh, they were mainly of a working class background. Uh, well, now I won't say working class background. They were working as workers, but their background was mainly peasant, agrarian, uh, landowning peasantry, small and middle peasantry. And a uh, larger number of them were Sikhs by background. They were uh, Muslims and, and uh, Hindus also. Um, and Muslims also had similar kind of background. Some of the Hindus uh, came from slightly middle-class background service, and they were in the intellectual components of this migrant uh, community. So one could say that the early entry of Marxism is among this group of people who came from an agrarian background, uh, landowning, not landless, because in order to migrate, they needed to have some assets. And, and um, in terms of religious background, primarily Sikhs, but also Muslims, uh, but some Hindus, and among the Sikhs also, some intellectuals. So it's a kind of uh, their, their background in the agrarian uh, sector of the economy and their experience of being racially discriminated and their knowledge or awareness of India being colonized, and that could be the reason for racial discrimination by whites considering themselves superior. And at the same time, a positive experience of trade union solidarity with the white working class gave them some idea about socialism. And many of them thought that if they participate in India's independence movement, uh, that would be the way to overcome their uh, uh, exploitative uh, conditions. And that's the kind of worldview which they formed. And many of them came back to India. So many of them were part of the Gadar movement, which is you know, known. And Gadar means basically rebellious. It's a Punjabi word. And they, they founded uh, newspapers. Uh, in fact, one newspaper journal was called Gadar. And, and uh, this uh, early Gadar movement had a very striking uh, combination of Marxism and Sikhi. The motifs which they used, the symbols which they used, both Sikh and uh, Marxist uh, uh, symbols. And many of these leaders actually acquired a lot of importance in the Sikh community. For example, uh, 
Baba Son Singh Pakna, uh, who was a, a Gadrite leader. Later on, he was considered for the headship of the Chief Gurdwara Management Committee, which is SGPC, Somni Gurdwara Prabandak Committee. And uh, Baba Sakha Singh actually became the Jathidar of Akal Takht, which is the highest religious authority. And that was a unique uh, uh, situation that a person who claims himself to be communist, but is also the head of the highest institution. And uh, that's because they did not see any conflict between their religious beliefs, which they considered as Sikhi, and their political and, and logical or philosophical worldview, even at an experiential level, intuitive level, even if they hadn't done critical study of Marxist text, which was uh, uh, Marxism. Uh, so that's the kind of early phase. Uh, and, and then they came to India, and, and uh, many of them suffered imprisonment and, and uh, long imprisonment, you know, harsh treatment. So later on, um, the Communist Party of India was formed, and they were a crucial part of that uh, formation of the uh, uh, Communist Party. Though there were two different currents in the formation of the Communist Party of India, of which they were a part. One was, of course, uh, directly who became part of the Communist Party of uh, India, um, the Punjab regional branch of the Communist Party of India. Others called the Kirti Party. And this word Kirti actually showed their past uh, influence of Sikhi, because Kirth uh, meaning uh, doing laboring activity, you know, uh, work uh, and the value of work and Kirth has been very central to Sikh teachings. Kirth karo, banshako, namjako. Kirth, kirth karo means doing laboring activity, earning one's uh, living by doing laboring activity, which emphasizes the role of. Uh, laboring activity as the source of your earning. Therefore, it is indirectly criticism of those who earn their living by not doing laboring activity. So obviously those who are exploitative. And Vanshako means sharing the products of labor, which is a kind of ethics of sharing, which is very close to the socialist uh, uh, tradition. And Namjapo means meditation. And, and meditation has also a kind of double meaning. One is a spiritual and other is a kind of social aspect that um, uh, the uh, Nam Japo is a critical reflective activity on your laboring activity, that the, that the Nam Japo is not separated from Kirtkaro and Vanchako. Nam Japo goes along with, it's integral to Kirtkaro and, and, and Vanchako. And, and in a way, in a way it, it also spiritualizes uh, 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 Kirtkaro do, doing laboring activity and, 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 and Vanchako. So the Kirti party came from that tradition. And later on, of course, they merged and, and uh, became the uh, Communist Party. So that's the kind of early period of the rise of uh, uh, Marxism. And there are reasonably good accounts of that uh, in the studies of Punjabi communism, historical accounts. But what is missing is the more theoretical engagement with Marxism, that uh, how Punjabi uh, in, whether in the immigrant community or within Punjab, engaged with Marxism as a philosophical worldview, as an economic doctrine of criticism of capitalism, as, as, as a practical, critical uh, 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 mode of organizing activity, uh, you know, the idea of scientific socialism versus utopian socialism. This wasn't, this hasn't been fully investigated. And that partly explains 
what uh, I call the theoretical backwardness of uh, Punjabi Marxism, um, which is not very different from uh, theoretical backwardness of Indian Marxism. But even within India, the theoretical uh, backwardness of Marxism in Punjab is more pronounced considered with the theoretical backwardness of, say, Bengali Marxism. Or, or Malayali Marxism or, or, or the Marxism in Maharashtra and Gujarat, where there were eminent scholars who, who, who did theoretical studies also of the texts of uh, uh, Marx and Engels and other Marxist uh, uh, thinkers. So that's kind of the, the early uh, phase of uh, 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 you know, Marxist entry and the influences which shaped the formation of uh, uh, early Marxist entry into, into Punjab. And how did Marxism become so widespread and prominent in Punjab? One thing which made the communists uh, popular to a considerable degree in Punjab was one, their rural base, that even when they were underground, their uh, sheltering place for rural areas. Secondly, the image of the communists as people who are selfless and those who are willing to sacrifice their life. And this uh, willingness to sacrifice their life fitted very well with the Sikh idea of martyrdom. You know, the, the, the Sikh, Sikhs have valued always their martyrs who died for their faith, which means that you're willing to die for your ideas. And the early Sikhs also kept their physical form also as Sikhs. They, they, they wore turbans and, and, and uh, had the long beards. I don't mean to say that the Marxist influence was totally absent among the Hindus and the Muslims. And they were uh, obviously influenced among the Hindus and the Muslims also in Punjab, but not as widespread as among the Jat Sikh uh, 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 peasantry, which also defines the limited nature of uh, spread of uh, Marxism in Punjab, that it was mainly among the Jat Sikh peasantry. Um, there were some uh, intellectuals, middle class intellectuals who came from the Hindu community, similarly from the Muslim community, but it wasn't a mass current. As, as far as the mass sport is concerned, it was mainly among the peasantry, Jat Sikh uh, uh, peasantry. So their popularity was mainly because of this, that this fitted in with the well idea of martyrdom and selfless sacrificing people. and and uh, their uh, way of living being very close to the ordinary peasants who, who lived in uh, rural areas. So they did not look like alien to them. They looked like their own, and there was a sense of uh, uh, affinity uh, between them. Uh, it is true that uh, there were some doubts about them, that they're atheists and they don't believe in God, but that wasn't a dominant uh, mode of contention at any time because their way of life wasn't very different. And some of the communists actually even uh, uh, were believers uh, in, in, in Sikh faith. And, and uh, so the average Sikh peasant did not see them very different coming from an alien ideology, which is atheistic or anything of that kind. But their influence uh, spread drastically after partition, they, where they became very influential. So looking into that now chronologically, we start to see the evolution of this movement across the 20th century. And so, post-independence, building an Indian nation-state, what impact 
did the Nauruvian climate have on this regarding the secular project? Yes, in, in Punjab, there was uh, another development, which was that shortly after India's independence, a new communist party was formed called Lal Communist Party by Teja Singh Savtantar, who, without any doubt, is the most legendary communist leader in Punjab. And he is one among the only two communists who ever got elected to India's parliament, along with Pan Singh Pora from Bhatinda once. And uh, Teja Singh Savtantar was quite unique that uh, he was also uh, an observing Sikh. And, and uh, he actually believed in Gurbani and the teachings of the Gurbani, but also a very dedicated communist. And what he did was to organize the tenants uh, in the Pepsu uh, uh, part of what was the old Punjab. And Pepsu was a group of princely states, which was uh, clubbed together, where there was an old kind of feudalism, you know, large landowners right from the period of, uh, you know, Mughal period and, and, you know, after that, the Ranjit Singh period, and even the British took over the princely states, uh, Patiala and Naba and, you know, all these uh, places. And, and uh, a large number of, uh, um, you know, uh, farmers or, or peasants, they did not have ownership rights. They, 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 they were tenants and they were very ruthlessly exploited exploited by the landowners. So Teja Singh Savtantar launched a movement for land rights of the peasants. And it was a very powerful movement, so much so that shortly after the, and, and, and he formed a separate uh, uh, party called Lal Communist Party, independent from the main Communist Party, in which he, in which he also advocated armed actions. So it wasn't only a peaceful path to uh, transition. And, and uh, a part of that uh, was a very uh, uh, remarkable uh, resistance by the peasants in one village called Kishngarh, where there was armed confrontation between the Lal Communist Party activists and the Indian army and the police, uh, where there were casualties on both sides. The, it, it did not immediately succeed, but it gave birth to a very powerful movement called the Kush Asiyas Tax Movement, which was about, uh, you know, the reduction of land revenue. And communists were very active in that movement, and they were the leaders of that movement. And eventually, the peasantry got the land rights. And it is during this period that the communists became hugely popular in that belt of uh, Punjab. Uh, they were so popular that in one of the assembly elections in the 50s, the communists got more than 17% of the total vote in Punjab. And when I say Punjab, that means the present Haryana and parts of Himachal Pradesh, which have gone out of the old Punjab and Punjab was reorganized. But if you look at the districts which constitute the present Punjab, almost 25% of the people had voted communists into that, that, that period. That was the high, height of uh, communist influence. And that continued in varying degrees. And, and um, the the Communists were part of the coalition government, which came into power in 1967 uh, after the formation of Punjabi, you know, Punjabi-speaking state, in which communists uh, uh, participated 
though reluctantly in the beginning, but later on gave support to the demand for a Punjabi-speaking state. And that also built their legitimacy as people who support Punjab's legitimate uh, demands. So the first non-Congress government which came into power in Punjab in 1967 had the Akalis, the main Sikh party, and the Kumnist, and the Jansang, which was the Hindu Nationalist Party, which later on became BJP, and the non-Marxist socialists. It was a small current in Punjab. It remained for some time, but it has died out eventually. And, and, and there are hardly any currents of that non-Marxist left in Punjab. And in that, uh, one prominent communist, Satyapal Dang, uh, held uh, a position as a food and supplies minister. And that was very interesting that communist became partner of the governance of Punjab. And he was very popular. He was very honest, very dedicated. Uh, he made mistakes later on in the 1980s uh, in terms of uh, you know, not criticizing the Indian state suppression in Punjab. But at that time, he was extremely popular. And he actually became popular partly because he had defeated the already serving chief minister of Punjab in the election, Gurmak Singh Musafar. And I, I, was, I was a young child at that time, or teenager, and I remember being very enthused by his victory that a communist was able to defeat a chief minister. And, and that was mainly a working class area in Amritsar, in Sherta uh, Belt. And uh, their influence continued, and, and the 1980s, as late as 1980s, the Communists got uh, uh, won 15 seats in the Punjab State Assembly, okay? And, and that's quite a remarkable number out of the total 117, which is almost close to 10% of the seats. But after 1984, their influence declined significantly, and there was a marked shift in the Communist influence in Punjab. And in the 1980s, they had uh, fought the elections in alliance with the Kalidal. And that is the only time Akali Dal and the Communists have fought together. And uh, they narrowly escaped winning the election. It was a difference of just few seats. And one can imagine that if they had come into power and they would have an Akali Communist alliance, maybe the history of Punjab would have been different from what happened in the 1980s. So uh, one, one could say that in, in the post-partition period, the uh, Communist popularity reached its uh, uh, strong point in the 1967, uh, subsequently in the anti-emergency period after the 1975-75 emergency and the, and the uh, election which they fought in 1980. And during this period also is the question of Nehruvian uh, secularism and how it affected the terminology of the communists and the relationship with religion. Because in the Nehruvian uh, discourse on secularism, it was kind of being argued that anyone who organizes on the basis of religion was viewed with suspicion and was called communal. Though the word communal has very distinctive meaning in India, uh, as we know, all over the world, communal means cooperativeness has a posit positive connotation. But India has it, it has acquired a negative connotation. And the reason is that. In India, the word communal starts being used during the British colonial rule. When the British authorities want to give certain minority rights to minorities, non-Hindu minorities, Muslims, Christians, and the Sikhs, the mainstream India independence movement viewed them as divisive, and they called them communal. 
So it was the minority rights to organize, which was called communal. Majority community wasn't considered communal because um, it was believed that their interests coincide with the national movement. And, and therefore, uh, they, they organizing themselves by using Hindu motives are not undermining the national movement. But uh, Gandhian and Nehruvian leadership uh, viewed minority rights and minority right to organize themselves whether seeking proportional representation or separate electorate as communal. And of course, in the, in the, in the, in the post-independence period, eventually the word is communal now used for the Hindu communal uh, party also. But in the 50s and the 60s, uh, this idea of secularism, that anyone who talks about religious identity uh, is communal and therefore it has a negative connotation. Therefore, in order to show yourself to be progressive, you have to be secular. And in order to be secular, you have to be distance yourself from religion. This affected the Punjabi communist relationship with Sikh religion also. As I said earlier, the early phase of communism did early phase of communism in Punjab did not see any conflict with having uh, respect and faith in Sikh religion and being a communist. They did not see, but this Nehruvian uh, emphasis on secularism also affected the discourse in the communist movement, though in a very indirect way, in a very subtle way. But it it got into the uh, uh, ways of thinking and ways of uh, uh, discussing things and 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 the modes of critical discourse, and and religion started being uh, being looked on looked on upon, and and uh, I remember as a young uh, Naxalite uh, sympathizer in the late sixties, there was an indirect kind of encouragement to start smoking among the Sikh students, or cutting their hair. That was considered a kind of sign of liberation. No one said that you should do that. You know that you will be truly a communist if you if you if you become clean shaven or you start smoking, but indirectly it was kind of uh, you know kind of assumed, and 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 it affected many of us, and and uh, in the early phase of course I wasn't affected by this, but in some sense it affected me as well, so I think that this this organic relationship with the Punjabi communists had with the Sikh faith was broken by this secularism discourse, um, though that wasn't the purpose of secular discourse, but that is what the ultimate consequence of that was, that it broke this organic relationship. And that is partly, partly responsible for, for Punjabi communists not understanding the, the, the dynamism of movements uh, rising in the Sikh, communist, Sikh, Sikh movement in the 1980s, which eventually led to Operation Blue Star and all the consequences which followed from that, and and which is partly responsible for their for, for their decline. Though I would say that it's not only because of sexism discourse; it is also to do with the global uh, geopolitical conflict between America and 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 USSR. That actually leads me perfectly to my next question: How did all of that culminate in the 1980s, and what did that mean for people who were Marxist? or communist, that now had to wrestle with this idea of Khalistan and self-determination, especially considering the role of the USSR and them towing the party line of the Communist Party. When the Sikh movement uh, or Sikh political tendencies 
started raising the question of uh, federalism and autonomy of the states. The Anand Prasad resolution uh, was being framed. The one section of the communists, which is CPIM, uh, did not see as something very negative. And uh, uh, in fact, the CPM leader, Hakishan Singh Surjit, was very close to the Akalis. And he played an active role in determining the language of the Anandapur Sahib resolution and even introducing the concept of socialism, uh, that Anandapur Sahib resolution asked for socialist pattern of society. And, and um, because CPM in West Bengal had been also asking for federal devolution of uh, uh, powers. Uh, and, the, and the first the struggle which started in, in Punjab on the uh, rights of Punjab to its river waters uh, it was a joint agitation by the Akali Dal and the CPM. But a rift later on developed because something else was developing in Punjab, which was that uh, Punjab was undergoing a deep penetration of capitalism in Punjab's real rural society with the so-called Green Revolution. That uh, uh, Green Revolution was a necessity of the Indian state to acquire food self-sufficiency because uh, India was dependent on food aid from USA, and USA was uh, arm twisting India into various diplomatic uh, issues. And the Indian state showed that its national survival was dependent as an independent nation only if it is able to have food self-sufficiency. So Green Revolution was introduced wherever it could be introduced. And Punjab was the prime place, partly because of flat land, the availability of irrigation resources, and the technical skills of the peasantry, which was uh, had the skills of using irrigation, partly learned during the British rule in the canal colonies of, of, of Punjab. And, and a number of these things led to the whole of Punjab being used for uh, Green Revolution. But this Green Revolution was also entry of commodity production, commodity circulation, commodity relationships, the development of capitalism. So Punjab's rural society was being undermined or being turned upside down by the entry of capitalist uh, commercial relationships. Family ties were being broken or being weakened. The rural society's sense of brotherhood was being broken. Class differentiation was emerging. And there was a kind of cultural emptiness which was emerging. And this cultural emptiness was manifesting itself in drug addiction, drunkenness, rise of pornography. And as a reaction against this, religious survivorism emerged in Punjab. Uh, Sikh religious survivalism, which was basically saying that, you know, this is wrong and, and you should become Amradhari and uh, you should not drink and, and you should not take to drug addiction. You should not see pornographic film. You should listen to Gurbani. And uh, now, Sant Jarnayal Singh Pindrawale is just one among the many religious survivalist leaders. He wasn't the only one. He became more known subsequently. His first popularity was based on this opposition to cultural degeneration, which was taking place as a result of capitalist uh, penetration into rural side. Now, many people don't understand this dimension uh, of the rise of Bindramala. It was not because he was preaching against center or he was preaching against the Hindus. There was nothing anti-Hindu or anti-center in his first. He was just trying to uh, uh, you know, practice uh, Sikh beliefs and Sikh practices against this kind of, kind of cultural uh, degeneration. And he became very popular with children 
and and uh, uh, women. And I've written this extensively in one of my articles on, on two facets of uh, survivalism, and I developed in one of my books, Economy, Culture, and Human Rights, Turbulence in Punjab, India, and Beyond, in which I've described this early phase of the rise of uh, uh, Bindranwala. Because when men became uh, drunkards or drug addicts and started, you know, kind of uh, going to cinema, pornographic cinema, women were the women and children were the main victims. And they found that, uh, you know, the preachings of religious reformists, among whom Sant Bindranwala was just one of them, was very persuasive in affecting some of their men also to change their habits. And when these men left drinking, and they started giving more attraction to their agricultural work, their conspicuous consumption declined, or their degenerative consumption declined on, on, on drinks and so on and so forth. And they paid more care to agricultural work, their productivity increased. So, so expenditure decreased, decreased and income increased. These women and children started seeing that uh, Sant Mindranwala and other religious survivalists were turning bad men into good men. And that's what led to his popularity in the rural areas. You know, this is a very important uh, aspect of understanding the popularity of Mindranwala, that he was being seen as, as, a, as, a, as a saint or as a preacher, a religious preacher, was giving good advice, saintly advice, and, 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 and was also turning the lifestyle of so many people. I personally know families, which, which actually in my surveys, have, in my field trips, I, I came across families who, who say that how, how our life has totally uh, turned into a normal life and our families became uh, beneficiaries of, of the teachings of uh, Sant Bindranwale and other teachers. And so that was movement uh, was developing at the same time. But um, Sant Bindranwala came into conflict with the central government. It's a long story, but probably we can't cover this. And uh, some of his followers were killed in encounters. And then he launched a movement from Golden Temple against police oppression. And uh, then the movement which the Akalis and the CPM had launched against Naroko a movement which was to stop the digging of Satluj, Yamuna Link Canal, which was to take away Punjab's water to give it to Haryana in an illegal manner, which Indira Gandhi was using uh, by defying a riparian law and using the, her, her political power to force the Punjab chief minister to sign agreement to, to take this canal. They, that movement crumbled and it came to Golden Temple. At that time, CPM left uh, a struggle. And, and it became mainly a, a Sikh struggle. And that went through various stages and, and uh, eventually it led to Operation Blue Star uh, and, and which was, you know, great tragedy. And at that time, the left uh, adopted a position in which the role of Soviet Union was very important in the question which you asked. Because in the nine, around 1984 or in the, in the, you know, throughout 1980s till 1989 when, or 80, 80, 80, 89, 1991 when Soviet Union Columbus, a uh, world was divided into two power blocks, one led by USA, another led by Soviet Union. And both these power blocks looked at each country as one of their lies. And India was a part of the Soviet sphere of influence. Indira Gandhi was close to the Soviet bloc. And CPSU, the Communist Party of uh, Soviet Union, 
they advise the Indian Communist Party that any weakening of the Indian state is weakening the Soviet Union. And any weakening of the Soviet Union is weakening of socialism. So any dissident movements which arise, they should not be supported. And that's part of the reason that the Indian Communists, especially the CPI, which is more close to the Soviet way of thinking, did not support even Jaiprakashan movement against emergency. They, they, they actually supported emergency in the beginning. They have apologized later on and accepted their mistake. And, and uh, so they looked at the dissident movements in, in Punjab also as weakening the Indian state and therefore weakening the Soviet uh, power and therefore weakening the socialism. And, and, and uh, they indirectly justified repression in Punjab. But that was true mainly of the CPA and CPM. It wasn't true of the Naxalites who were not under the influence of CPSU. And uh, Naxalites were mainly under the influence of uh, Mao Zedong and Mao ideology. And other crucial difference between CPI, C CPM on one hand, and the uh, Naxalites was that CPI, CPM increasingly started talking about the unity and integrity of the country because they looked upon the strengthening of the Indian state and therefore strengthening on the Indian nationhood as in the interest of strengthening the hands of Soviet Union in the global power bloc rivalry. But the Maoists had always looked upon India as a land of various, nation, various nationalities. And they looked upon national liberation struggle of different communities. So Naxalites did not oppose Sikh activists in the same way. In fact, some of the Naxalites actually joined the Sikh activists and, and, and partly because they understood that this is the, this is the, this is the struggle of a minority community and, and uh, minority nationality. But those who did not agree with this view, they uh, also, um, committed mistakes in not understanding the repressive role of the Indian state. Uh, but there was another dimension to that. That is, they came into conflict with some of the very sectarian Sikh activists who killed some of the innocent Hindus. And communists believed that this was wrong and they opposed that, that uh, Punjabi Hindus, why should they be attacked? And, and on that point they came, and, and that, that is a laudable characteristic of the Punjabi communists um, who, who defended the rights of the Hindu minority in Punjab. And they came in con conflict with the uh, Sikh activists. The Sikh activists looked upon them as basically allies of the Indian state and, and killed some of these uh, and, you know, communist activists. So a kind of you know, rivalry developed. And also the support base of the communists and the Sikh activists is the same, Sikh peasantry. So there was a kind of competitive rivalry between the two also. And, and uh, so for the first time, and the, the Sikh current in politics and the communist current in politics became really opponents of each other, which wasn't the case before. Okay. Now there were tensions, but they, was, they, were not, they were not opponents of each other. So post-1984 saw this opposition and this led to drastic decline of the communists in the Sikh population. And that is seen in subsequent elections. The Punjabi communists have lost, especially the CPI, CPM. The Naxalite part of the Punjabi Marxism has been able to 
uh, carry on their influence have increased partly because they carried on their work in the Punjab peasantry. And the rewards of that is in the recent farmer struggle, where many of the farmers' organizations, where the Naxalites had uh, done work for several years, they made them very prominent uh, leaders and activists of the farmers' movement. And, and some of them have uh, farmers' organizations, which are some of the biggest farmers' organizations in, in, in Punjab. So th there's a kind of uh, recovery of the left influence in Punjab. And also, I would think that some of the younger generation of Punjabi Marxists have started finding that revolutionary potentialities of Sikh faith also. Uh, they are able to overcome the old Stalinist uh, understanding of uh, religion. I mean, for a minute, I have to go back to the Stalinist uh, role on, on understanding religion. In Soviet Union, the church had played a very negative role during the uh, socialist revolution. Church was a strong supporter of the, of the establishment. Therefore, there was a kind of reaction against uh, the church after the Soviet revolution. And uh, the entire communist movement, but certainly more Stalin was anti-religion. And the communist parties in India, and similarly in Punjab, they rose during the period of Stalinism. And that colored the understanding of um, the Indian communists and Punjabi communists towards religion. Uh, that they did not see the more uh, dialectical or more contradictory role of religion, which Marx had understood. Marx did not understood religion in the same way as the mechanistic understanding of religion by Stalin, because uh, uh, Stalin's understanding was strongly influenced by the specific conditions or the role of religion in Soviet Union, especially during the uh, revolution. That is one. Secondly, the Marxist currents in other parts of the world, they had originated right at the time of Marx and Engels. The, the Marxists in uh, uh, Germany, of course, in England, in France, uh, in Spain, in Portugal, many of the Marxists directly engaged with Marx. Okay, they, they, they engaged with Marxist radical work. And they had that kind of self-confidence to be able to interpret Marxism in their own way, you know, interpret the socialist ideas own way. But the communist parties in, in, in underdeveloped countries, especially in India and many other countries, developed mainly in the post-First World War period, where Stalinism has taken control over the communist movement. And later on, of course, when the Maoist movement rose in the 40s after the Russian, after the Chinese Revolution, the Maoist movement rose as a uh, new current, uh, emphasizing the role of the uh, peasantry. So the this negative role towards religion had this dimension that because of the Stalinist influence on, 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 on religion, which was very negative. So some of the younger generations of Marxists in Punjab are trying to rediscover, trying to the revolutionary potentialities of Sikh faith and trying to uh, see that how Guru Nanak's teachings on egalitarianism are very close to socialist traditions on egalitarianism. And they are looking at concepts like Sajivalta, which is a central part of Sikhi's teaching, as very close to socialist way of looking. So there is a kind of rediscovery and reemergence of the left discourse, which is free from the uh, Stalinist influence in the 20s, but is also relatively free of the 1980s, where CPSU, the Communist Party Soviet Union, exercised so much influence 
the Soviet Union has crumbled, and and uh, there is a different uh, changes in you know in China. So Chinese Communist Party also doesn't have the same kind of influence. So the Punjabi Communists had to uh, you know depend upon their own resources, on their own intellectual resources, and that is that autonomous uh, sense of relationship, not subservience subservience to 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 another uh, external power is leading to greater internal discovery and that is also seeing some you know relationship and the farmers movement one could see that people who were inspired by the Sikh tradition inspired by the Unis tradition they worked together there were tensions but at the same time there was a great degree of cooperation and 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 both sides learning from each other and and overcoming the old sectarianism from both sides you know the Sikh activists looking upon communists as mainly allies of the Indian state, and and the the communists looking at uh, Sikhs only as fundamentalists and uh, sectarians, and of course the CPI CPM also using the word secessionism, uh, which is not that popular among the Naxalites, uh, you know, but uh, they certainly criticize Sikh activists for their fundamentalism, and there were those sectarian tendencies among the Sikh movement also. So, so there is a kind of turmoil going on, you know, a kind of churning going on uh, in, 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 in Marxist currents in, in Punjab now. I wanted to touch upon something that you mentioned in passing, which is about the Marxism imagery and sentiment that is being expressed at the farmers' protests. Can you please elaborate more on what we are witnessing today from this uh, kind of re-emergence, you could say? Yes, yes, absolutely. It's, it's, it's almost like, you know, overstepping or transcend, transcending their old historical rivalries in a similar way. The reasons are manifold. One is that in the farmers' movement, whether the farmers, whether a very particular farmers' organization is led by Sikh activists or is led by communist activists, they've all found that they need to unite on forcing the government to the three farm laws, which was a direct attack on the agriculture, that agriculture will be taken over by corporation, corporations. So if they have to push that back, they need to be united. The, the absolute necessity of uniting together in order to oppose that. The second is that the external influence on the communist activists has gone. You know, there is no CPSU and, uh, you know, controlling them and giving them the directions and uh, also the central leadership of the Communist Party based in Delhi also is weakened to a great extent um, because of the decline of the left in the, in the last few years. So the state units are relatively more independent in, in, in a certain sense. And um, so that's another other reason that you have to stand on your own feet. You know, it's not, not, not you just don't uh, depend upon the advice given from uh, outside. So one was the practical compulsion of working together. And, and uh, once you start working together, many of the stereotyped images which you have of others start crumbling, okay? And, and, and it works both ways. That the communist activists saw that many of the people who are inspired by Sikhism, they're inspired by the Sikh tradition of struggle, of martyrdom, of sacrifice, of selfishness, and the egalitarian practices of langar and seva, and which are very close to socialist way of looking at things. So, so they could see the positive implication. And also, 
obviously discourses would have taken place, discussions would have taken place, and they would have seen that you know they were probably wrong in 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 condemning every religious person as as misguided. That religion is a part of our culture and is a part of our tradition, and those traditions need to be valued. At the same time, the Sikh activists would have also seen that many of these uh, uh, communists are not necessarily anymore agents of the Indian state. They are fighting against the Indian state, and 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 they 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 are. Uh, um, wonderful fighters, and there there would have been a kind of grudging respect developed between them. And uh, the third element, which I mentioned, that younger generation of people who have done PhDs in history, in sociology, and in, in political science, and in in, in literary and other uh, spheres, they're also free from these old dogmas, and they are discovering uh, the unity between the egalitarian values of Sikhism and the egalitarian teachings of uh, 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 Sikhi. And I think the third dimension, which is a bit weak, but is coming through eventually, is the ecological consideration. That uh, everyone is now becoming aware that capitalism, whether in India or anywhere, is a big threat to humanity. That global warming is rising, and this is a, this is a threat to the planet Earth. And they could see this, uh, uh, the environmental destruction caused by capitalism in their day-to-day lives, the way Punjab's uh, land, water, air have been polluted by this massive capitalist uh, degeneration, capitalist penetration, which has taken place in Punjab agriculture. And, and that ecological um, kind of entry into the discourse is also leading to the discovery of the values of Sikh teaching. Because Ecological teachings and Guru Nanak's teachings are very, very strong. You know that the the, the celebration of nature uh, um, and the and the respect for nature and and the respect for agrarian work. Guru Nanak uh, did himself agriculture work in the last 18 years of his life in Kartarpur. So that is a kind of third current, uh, third element I would say, or third factor apart from the earlier two ones which I mentioned that the practical necessity of working together and the you know, discourse taking place, and the freedom from external influence. And maybe this is the fourth one I could say, that the new generation of intellectuals which are developing were able to see this uh, ecological current as, as, as a current which unites the, the, the Sikhi thought and, and the socialist thought. Well, thank you so much for your great responses. I'm really enjoying this conversation. But one last question I had on Marxism in Punjab, which I feel like we've missed so far, concerns the significance of the cultural contribution made in terms of, say, for example, radical poetry or songs and theatre. Yes, yes, that, that's very right. I mean, I think that's a central point which I had made in my first uh, writing on Marxism. Marxism in Punjab, which was published in uh, EPW, I think, in 1985. There are two uh, aspects are very, very interesting. And they, uh, on the face of it, they look contradictory. One, the intellectual backwardness, and secondly, success in the literary cultural uh, domain in Punjab of Marxism. The, by intellectual backwardness, I meant that Punjabi communists from the very beginning had this understanding of Marxism as an experiential and intuitive understanding of Marxism from their own experience 
as I said, about racism. Later on, they work on the peasantry, but not out of critical, theoretical engagement with the Marxist theoretical works, with Marxist capital. It has been now translated, but very few people have actually read capital. And it and, and, and gets reflected in the writings the Sikh, the communist activists uh, produce or, or their journals and articles which they produce. Secondly, that uh, unlike the European Marxism or Western Marxism, where apart from Marx, Engels, Lenin, and Stalin and Mao, which are the, I mean, among the, among the non-Maoist uh, communists, it is the Marx, Engels, Lenin, and maybe sometimes Stalin is studied among the Maoist current Mao Zedong's thought. But many few of them have, are aware of other very strong currents in, in Marxism, which, are, which, which people in the Western Marxist tradition know about. Plekhanov was a, a Manchuic uh, Marxist, hugely well-read, you know, and Lenin respected his, his knowledge of uh, uh, Marxism. And because of the developments in Soviet Union, he was put into a Manchvik and looked upon in a derogatory way. Kropotkin, who was an anarchist, who criticized bureaucracy and, and all institutions being prone to bureaucratic uh, degeneration. Uh, Rosa Luxemburg, though she is given a bit of a respect, but not at the level she deserves. Um, Gramsci, though recently Gramsci is being uh, discovered. Uh, Lukash, Karl Kosh, um, people who are original thinkers. And, and the, the Indian communists, specifically Punjabi communists, have not studied. They haven't studied Bukharin, they haven't studied Probrzezinski, you know, the, 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 the wide current of Marxist thought, which the Western Marxists know about. They are not familiar. They, they read only some writings of, of uh, Marx, maybe Communist Manifesto, maybe some writings of uh, Engels, um, and maybe one or two of Lenin, like State and Revolution, and 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 Stalin, and those who are in the Maoist current, some essays of Mao, you know Mao, but mainly they read party literature. So there is an intellectual backwardness, and partly this intellectual backwardness has to do with the peasant, solid peasant background of most Punjabi communists, and the lack of urbanization and the lack of growth of education, which goes with urbanization. Unlike in 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 um, Maharashtra or Gujarat or West Bengal or or Kerala or even Andhra Pradesh, where uh, lots of uh, communists went beyond these narrow range of writings uh, and and they looked at more critical writings of other Marxists. So one was that kind of intellectual backwardness which prevails to a certain extent, but gradually being overcome. People are becoming more open. For example. Gramsci's uh, uh, book on Gramsci has come out in Punjabi, and, and people are beginning to read, especially the new generation of uh, young people. So, so that is you know, the one aspect of intellectual backwardness. But very interestingly, in the literary tradition, the Marxist current has been very strong. And, and that's a very contradictory role of the Soviet revolution, that Soviet revolution in, in, in one sense, triggered the imagination of uh, Punjabi communists, that the imagination of a country where there is equality, there are no big exploiters, and, and Soviet Union was certainly more developed than India, 
And, and that is also the crucial difference between how Soviet Union was seen in the third world countries and Soviet Union, how it was seen in the developed countries. In the developing countries, and, and so is true of Punjab and India, Soviet Union was certainly more developed. So even under Stalin, uh, it was seen as a more desirable country compared with India. But in the Western world countries, Soviet Union was a backward country industrially. So it wasn't something they would want to aspire for. So as, as a result of this, the uh, uh, intellectual backwardness was one aspect, but the fascination with the, what was happening in Soviet Union. And in the, in the first few years of Soviet revolution, Soviet Union was certainly a very, very fascinating country. There was, there was a absolute mushrooming of creativity in arts and music and culture and sculpture and paintings. They, you know, and, and that inspired a lot of young minds. And that was mainly expressed in the literary you know, expression, in the, in the, but mainly in poetry, you know, but also in short story, not so much in novels. Though some of the Punjabi novelists like this one, Sinkamala, did write wonderful novels, which are hugely popular, because novel, novel does, does demand much more comprehensive understanding of society, seeing interconnections between different. But poetry is more immediate reaction to an event and, and, and you express yourself. So the Marxist current spread very widely in Punjabi society among uh, Punjabi writers, Punjabi poets, and various literary organizations which grew up, and, and uh, in, in playwrights, and some of the playwrights in Punjab became very popular, Ajmer Singh Alak and Gusharan Singh. So it was quite a contradiction that intellectually backward, but in the cultural domain, literary domain, quite hegemonic. And that got also expressed in the student movement. Punjab Students Union uh, was the most dominant student union for a long period of time. It went into decline, but is kind of re-emerging now. And, and uh, mainly through literary uh, ascendancy or hegemony of the left in the literary domain, not so much in the intellectual uh, domain. And the intellectual backwardness is also reflected in not sufficient interrogation of Punjab economy, Punjab politics, the nature of industrialization in Punjab, the nature of agrarian society in Punjab, the class character of different political parties, you know, narrow, finely tuned studies of, of rural society, class composition. Uh, it is emerging, but at much, much nascent stage compared with other regions like Bengal and, 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 and Maharashtra. Uh, and, 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 and Kerala, uh, where these studies are much more developed. So there was this uh, uh, dimension that in the literary and cultural dimension, Marxist influence was quite widespread and remains so. You know, some of the finest poets and some of the finest short story writers, playwrights, uh, uh, they, they came from the Marxist tradition. Of course, there were many other literary figures like Pai Veer Singh, who is from the Sikh literary tradition. but uh, there was quite a hegemony and ascendancy of the uh, writers and literary figures in the literary domain who, who were influenced by Marxist ideas. Professor G, those were all of the questions I had planned for today. But is there anything else you'd like to add before we close? Uh, yes, I, I think that we have covered a lot of uh, important uh, uh, fields. And what I would say is that uh, 
this relationship between Marxism and Sikhi in the present Punjab is of crucial importance because I do not see, I, I would, more than Marxism, I would say socialism, okay? Because for me, what is most important is socialism as an alternative to capitalism. That capitalism is the biggest threat to humanity at this moment, ecologically and socially and economically. And anyone who opposes capitalism is truly a radical. The question of religion is not very important. And that also is something which I want to clarify. Many people in, in, among the old tradition, among the Punjabi left, think being an atheist is a sign of being uh, progressive. Okay? That if you, if you say that you decry religion, you know, that means you're free from religious ideology. And then, then that's the only way you can say that you are a progressive. Now, they don't understand that there are many bourgeois scholars bourgeois theorists who are also atheists. Atheism has nothing to do with being progressive or not progressive. Similarly, in religion, there are, there are people who are religious and, and they are hugely progressive. And the liberation theology uh, uh, component in, in, in religion is a supportive of the liberation struggles. So I think the, the criteria of being a radical and a socialist is not whether you are a believer in religion or not, but the criteria of being a radical is that you are opposed to capitalism, okay? And whether you believe in religion or in a not doesn't matter. You know, you have to be critical of capitalism. Capitalism as a mode of production, capitalism as a socioeconomic system, and all the you know, inequalities it creates between human beings and non-human beings and within human beings, that is, that is at, 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 at stake. So that consciousness has to grow. And, and that will also uh, allow us to look upon religion as a part of people's culture, right? people, people's tradition, and, 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 and certain religious traditions play a very positive role. And in fact, the Punjabi communists should be proud of, of the Sikh tradition, which is so valuable in terms of preaching egalitarian values, which is not the same with the Hindu tradition. You know, Hindu tradition, which is uh, so much uh, influenced by Varan Ashram, which in which inequality is embedded into it, okay? So one can't say that all religions are same from, from, from Marxists. All religions are not same. Similarly, many people have studied Buddhism and, and, and some people explain the rise of uh, communism in, in China, in, in, in East Asia, partly because Buddhist influence is more strong there and, and it's the kind of closer fit between Buddhism and, and communism. So we need to make a differentiation between different religions also and the values which they, which they, which they uh, uh, preach. And I think that the Punjabi communists should, uh, should consider themselves as fortunate historically and geographically to be located in a region where their religious traditions are progressive and egalitarian. And, and that marriage is very, very important. And in order to bring about this socialist uh, renewal in Punjab, disengagement is very, very important. And on the other hand, I would also say that those Sikhs who truly value the egalitarian teach, teachings of uh, Sikhism, because there are Sikhs who don't value egalitarian teachings of Sikhism. There are Sikhs who value money-making. You know, they, they interpret, uh, uh, you know, Kirtkaro as entrepreneurial activities, as, as, as a justification for their, uh, you know, capitalist enterprise activities which is, I think, is a misreading and misinterpretation of Guru Nanak's teaching. 
because Guru Nanak is not only saying about Kirtkaro, he's also saying about Vanshako. And Vanshako is not only philanthropy. Many of the Sikh capitalists would say that if they give a little bit to Langar, that is Vanshako. Vanshako actually means distribution of resources on which societies are you know, situated. So it, it will require rethinking on the part of the Sikh activists and see the, the Sikh leftists as a part of that tradition, which is actually empowering uh, uh, Sikh ideas of valuing tradition and Guru Nanak's teachings on egalitarianism. So both traditions have to overcome their uh, sectarianism and see the, see the complementarity between them two, you know, see the convergence between the two. And, and, and that convergence should be a source of strength for any kind of socialist renewal in the, in the future. Well, thank you so much, Professor G, for coming on. And that was a great conversation, really outlining an introductory timeline of Marxism and communism in Punjab, starting from the Ghazar Party to the current day farmer protests, which has been an honor and really fascinating to explore that with you. And I think you've really answered some of the most frequently asked questions that both I and the many thousands of our listeners had on this topic, especially one of the main ones, I must say, which happens to be, you know, to what extent can we identify and consolidate Sikh and Marxist frameworks and identity? That has most certainly been a recurring theme in more recent forums. So thank you again for your contribution to this discourse. And last but not least, I would like to thank our sponsor, Sikh Student Learning, and the tens of thousands of followers across our social media channels that continue to motivate us to actively record and share Sikh history. We hope to continue to keep recording more podcasts and make more Sikh history accessible in audio format. So if you enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more, please share with others so that we can attract more supporters that in turn help us to generate more episodes. Thank you. Thank you.